It's tough. It's tough. It's really, really tough to find good out of the bad. So when crappy things happen, can we actually be grateful for it? I know it sounds strange and bizarre. We'll investigate it next on this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. I'll tell you what, friends. Eight hours or more in the car is enough for me. Way too much. In fact, I hit about the six-hour mark and I'm ready to hang it up. Welcome back to yet another episode of this, the Gratitude Journal podcast, Driving Exploits, a little bit later. But first, thank you for joining in, tuning in, as we used to say in the radio world, and downloading at your leisure another episode of this, the podcast that tries to investigate this rather bizarre and almost surreal sometimes concept of being grateful for the things we have and the things around us. And that's essentially what this podcast is about. I mean, there are a number of podcasts that talk about gratitude, and this is another one of those podcasts. It's So we try to find the gratitude in the things that are around us. And it's not always easy, as you know from listening to one of the other 60-odd episodes of this podcast. I think that's where we're at right now. Matthew is my name, by the way, and uh, welcome back. Thank you for sharing your time by listening to this podcast. There are millions of them out there. I mean, it's it's almost amazing to think with the regular attention span of most people that podcasts in the podcast domain would be this popular, but it is. People love them and they never stop creating them. There are new and sundry podcasts coming out every day. And this is one of them. So I am very happy and pleased that you would choose this one. It has been a whirlwind week. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, the shortened version, that we were en route to the Commonwealth of Virginia to witness the marriage of my sister and her new husband, Ernie. And we made it. It was a whirlwind tour going down kind of bad. My sister gave us all directions to sort of get around the traffic, the D.C. traffic. And it turns out that many of these roads that she suggested were either closed and then offered detours, and then there were bridge closures. And I wondered about three quarters of the way down there whether it would have been more preferable to sit on a Friday afternoon on the Beltway (laughs) because I'm not sure we really saved a whole lot of time. And as it turns out, I have a large family and everybody drove separately. Nobody drove together. And so as people were arriving, other people were texting other people saying, where are you? Where are you? And, And it was almost unanimous that the route that my sister suggested, well, it just sucked. I mean, it was just not very good. But I say that though, had I been driving and not tried to deadhead, as my wife likes to say, you know, I, I'm at point A, I've got to get to point B, and it's got to happen quickly. If you were just in, kind of in the mood for a drive and you were just rolling along, it probably would have been a very nice drive because the weather was very nice. But I kind of hit my threshold at the six-hour mark. 
Um, I'm heading down to Kentucky here in a couple of weeks uh, to see some buddies of mine, as I try to do every year. And that is about it for me. Like anything past that drive, it just starts to, you know, think, ugh, would have been better if I just found an airplane ticket? Probably. But it wasn't to be this time. But it was worth it. And the drive back was great. The drive back was through D.C. I figured, hey, Sunday, if you have to pick a day, it should be that day. And we had absolutely zero issues uh, aside from a little bit of rain in the morning. Once we got through Richmond, those clouds started to clear up and it was a brilliantly gorgeous and hot day, perfect for driving. And it was without error and it was without issue. So that was certainly great. So I'm very, very happy for my sister. She starts her new life and I can't think of anybody more deserving than my sister Emma. Speaking of trips, I think I mentioned in previous podcasts that my siblings and I travel back to West Virginia just about every year. Sometimes we've been going back twice a year. We have made return trips to the area where my parents grew up, an area that we visited every year as children, and we kind of kept going back, especially over the past 10 years. And as we go back, the people that we have to visit, the relatives that we have to visit are fewer and fewer. In fact, I can recall a visit back in maybe 2015, 2016, where we were sitting around after a day of visiting and thinking to ourselves, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could just like sit here at this table and drink, you know, you had another beer and just stay here and just smell in the mountain air and, and just people watch and enjoy the weather and not really have to worry about visiting. And here it is, 2021, and the array of people that we have to visit are becoming exceedingly thin. I mean, our relatives are passing on and there's just fewer and fewer people to visit. But I bring that up because one of those visits, and I would say probably about four years ago, we were traveling with my twin brother and his wife, and we had already spent a good portion of the day on Friday kind of visiting people. And we were heading back to the hotel where we had reservations. There's not a ton of places to stay in that area, even though it's kind of a touristy area now, your choices are really rather limited. And we ended up finding some rooms for the eight or 10 of us that were traveling back during that particular trip at a little lodge that kind of sits between Davis, West Virginia and Canaan Valley. And it's very, very basic, nothing remarkable to talk about. It's a place that basically is a room with a bed and it has a bathroom and they have a restaurant where you can eat inside and you have a gravel driveway where you can park your car. And basically it's inexpensive and well, I shouldn't say it's inexpensive during skiing season because all the people from Washington, D.C. come into Thomas and Davis and Canaan Valley to do skiing and the prices get really jacked up. But at this particular time of the summer, they were still relatively okay. The calling card to being there is walking out 
on this enormous deck that they have and just basically staring at the mountains. I mean, that's why people go there because of the natural beauty. We were heading back and we were kind of coming down a hill and all of a sudden we were riding in my brother, my brother's and his wife's car. Something slowed down. The car just sort of slowed down and my brother's wife was driving and she says, oh, I'm pressing on the pedal. Like nothing is happening hardly. It's like, it's not, it doesn't want to move. And so we knew right then that, you know, there was plenty of gas, but that this was potentially not very good. So we rolled into the parking lot and we knew right then that something was going to have to be looked at on the car. The thing about being in that area, though, is there are limited people to look at your car. And if it's something relatively serious, that may require more than having the regular mechanic in our part of the world simply send a driver over to get a part, and then in an hour the part is back, and then he can make the repair, and then you're on your way. A lot of times, those kinds of things don't happen. And as it turned out, to make a long story short, the part was fairly serious. It was something involving uh, an electronic sensor, and it was something involving uh, the the manifold, the exhaust manifold, and also something with the transmission. And all of these things could be repaired, but it took somebody three hours to come out just to look at it, and then to announce to everyone that he wouldn't be able to have the part in until Monday. And so this was very shocking to my brother and his wife, because on Sunday, everybody was expected to go back. And they were both expected to be back at work on Monday. Well, there was nothing that they could do. And so they said, well, listen, we're going to stay here. Well, the people at the lodge heard about their dilemma and said to them, listen, here's what happens during Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday here at the lodge. There's nobody here. We don't, we're not even here. So we're just going to give you the key. And you have a room and you have the run of the lodge. And, you know, we would advise your family beforehand to go and stockpile you some food so that you can have some food and some drinks and wait it out through Sunday and into Monday until your part arrives and your car can be fixed. So we all felt so bad, but we all had to get back ourselves. So we really couldn't stay. And they were like, okay, fine. That's, you know, you guys do what you do. We'll just, you know, we'll just have to do it. We'll just have to deal with it. So they called both of their respective bosses and they decided, you know, that there was nothing they could do and they were just going to wait to have their car fixed so they could get home. So on Sunday night, I was sending texts to my brother and I was asking him how he was doing. And I expected, you know, the typical answer. I'm just like beside myself. I just really want this part to get here and I just really need to get back to work and I can't believe this happened and car trouble is the worst and that kind of thing. But that's not what he said. That's not what he said at all. He said, you know, I walked out on that lodge deck about an hour ago and I took a beverage out with me and started to get a little chilly so I had a jacket on 
and I grab the chair from inside because no one's using the chair because there's nobody else there. And I sat on the deck and I did nothing. I sat in this chair. I listened to the wind rustle through the thousands of trees that are on the hillside and leading up into the mountains. In the distance, occasionally I would hear a car go by. But I realized there was nothing to do. There was nothing that I could do. And I just kind of let go of the fact that I, yeah, I had work to do. I'd have to make it up on Tuesday. Hopefully I get back on Tuesday. But there was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't do any work. I didn't have very good internet access. And I was just going to sit in this chair. And then a couple of days later, I talked to him on the phone and he said, you know, that may have been the most relaxing, beneficial day and a half that we ever experienced. We talked, we went for walks, we sat in our room, we watched some TV, we opened a bottle of wine and ate crackers and cheese. And then I went outside on the deck again and at nighttime and I listened to the sounds that I never listened to at night. And this really bad thing that happened turned out to be a really great thing. And even like a year later, years later, we would talk about just various things. He would say, you know, I, I still think about those two days, that day and a half or two days that I was there and I just disconnected from everything. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Can we be grateful when bad things happen? I remember I took a position with a radio station with CBS in the early 90s. And coincidentally, at the time, one of Donna's sons and his family were living in the Virginia suburbs. And we ended up finding a townhome in another city, in Manassas, way before Manassas now is this almost thriving little metropolis in and of itself. At that time, it was basically on the edge of a Civil War battlefield, and there was really not a whole lot out of Manassas. I mean, past Manassas, it was basically farmland. That is certainly not the case now. But I recall that it was the first time that I had been away from my family for the holidays. And when I found out that I not only had to work on Christmas Eve, but that there was a live broadcast that I had to do leading up to New Year's, so there was really no way for me to go home. There was no way for us to jump in a car and travel back and celebrate the holidays with our families, that we were kind of stuck. Now, we had family there, but it wasn't the same thing. And I remember going out to get some things for the Christmas Eve get-together at Donna's son's apartment. 
and waiting in line at the store. And this overwhelming sense of sadness came over me, this overwhelming sense of loss. And I kept thinking, well, I know what my family would be doing right now during the holidays. I know where they would be. I would look at my watch and say, okay, well, this is normally the time we go to church on Christmas Eve. And now everybody's probably jumping in their cars and heading over to my mom and dad's to have the regular Christmas Eve celebration. And the more and more I thought about it, the more sad I became. And I remember sitting in the basement level of his townhome. It was a three-level townhome, which was very common in that neighborhood of Woodbridge, Virginia. And watching his little girls bounce around on the carpeted floor and opening up presents. And I recall that the dread began to sort of turn in the other direction. And my mind sort of kept jumping back and forth between what was playing out in front of me and my family at home. And I all of a sudden got almost a new appreciation for what I had. I almost got a new appreciation for the family that I think in some ways I had taken for granted. The regular family Christmases that had become so commonplace for me and for our family. And I'm sure instances of celebration that we really weren't able to completely appreciate. And now I appreciated them more than ever. And I told myself that I would do everything in my power the next year to try to be back at home celebrating at least for a couple of days with my family. As it turned out, I didn't keep that particular job long enough for that to happen. So I had returned to Ohio. But I thought to myself, and I mentioned to Donna when we got back to our particular apartment, that I said, you know, we really don't know how good we've had it with our holidays and with our Christmases, and that all of our families, our large family, has been able to get together and share the holidays. Nobody having to work, nobody being stuck in an airport, nobody being out of a job, that this appreciation for my family in this time of, I guess, mental chaos for me, that the bad part of that was almost a good thing for me, so that I was able to fully be grateful for and appreciate the holidays that I did have, and hopefully the holidays that I would have. I've mentioned in other podcasts that I have a deep-seated issue with where I am in my life. And it's been something that's been going on for quite some time. And I think sometimes when I see people that I haven't seen for a long time, my immediate inclination is to mark, put a marker in my head to get a sense as to where they are in their life. 
And invariably, I start to foment a number of comparisons between the two of us. And I have a friend who was in town for the past couple of days on a kind of a family emergency. And this friend of mine has become very successful in his career and has done very, very well. And now, even though we're the same age, he has decided to retire. And he can retire because he can. His life is structured in such a way that his, he's very much a goal-setting person. And now the new goals are to do these things in retirement that he couldn't do in his working life. And he's almost sort of laser hyper-focused on these things. As I was explaining to him the situation in our world, I really began to denote the almost super magnified differences in our life. And almost immediately, my inclination was to look at his life and say, this life is amazing and it is in so much better a place than my life. And as I was talking about where I was in my life, job, career, uncertainty, not being able to continue to operate my business the way I always have, trying to find new ways to reinvent myself, the situation with Donna, the situation with our parents and making sure that they are vibrant and that they are comfortable and that they have everything they need and some of the challenges that just seem to be an ever magnified part of my life and these challenges didn't seem anywhere near his life and my inclination was to obviously do this comparison and as i was driving home i thought to myself you know I hear myself talking about my life, and I hear myself talking about our situation and the hand that we've been dealt. My friend and others like him, they are not experiencing what I'm experiencing. And at the same time, they don't have what I have. And what I have is this loving, gifted person who has supported literally everything I've ever done, literally everything I've ever wanted to do, and now has been dealt something that is a new challenge, and it's something that we have to face. And I think we're facing it as best as we can. But I began to think that in the past almost two years, I have evaluated and discovered things about my wife that I probably may never have discovered or may never have experienced had she not received her diagnosis. I have been able to hopefully pay more attention to her. I have hopefully been able to provide more comfort for her. And even though my way of doing that 
tends to be somewhat militaristic and somewhat authoritarian. It's my method for checkboxing things off and getting them done so that I can move to the next thing. And as long as we've been able to overcome that, I think that I have actually benefited from this, that I see her in a different light and I appreciate her in a different light. And it may be a light that may not have been shining had this diagnosis not occurred. So I thought about this later as I was doing my workout and I thought, are you kind of stretching this a little bit? Like, are you creating something maybe that isn't there? Are you really trying to dig deep to find a way to find the good in this? I almost laughed out loud because I came to the realization that this is it. There's no other thing but this. And as my friend grapples with which European country to visit for a month while he enjoys his retirement, I don't have that decision to make. My path has already been chosen already. I know what my path is. This is my path. This, what I'm experiencing on this, the 27th day of May, this is my path and this is my life and this is where I am. And I can do nothing about that. And that ultimately is good. That's a good thing. I mean, Alzheimer's is not good. But accepting where I am at this stage, accepting where we are at this stage, and being honest with ourselves about where we are, that is a good thing. Now, I am struggling with finding the gratitude there, but I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. On the surface, I can think of nothing to be grateful for regarding dementia. But in this journey, what I have come to the realization about is that I am required to dig deeper to find threads of gratitude. And in turn, this elongated search to dig deeper and to find threads of gratitude, they can stretch into other areas of my life. They can stretch into other areas of our life together. And ultimately, this has to be good. I mean, it has to, or this podcast would be worthless. Is it Easy? Not at all. And it's not also to insinuate that my friend's life is easy now, because I don't know the extent of what he goes through in his life. I don't know the challenges that he experiences. And it would be erroneous on my part to suggest that because I see his world on the surface, 
during a 45-minute conversation that I understand the complexities of his world. I don't. But I do think that this investigation into finding ways to be grateful for what we have, I think this can almost be something that can be dispersed to other areas of one's life. And I think ultimately that is good. People who have a torn Achilles tendon in the year that they're doing rehab, they maybe discover an author that they've never really considered before, or they take up a pen and start writing. There can be good that comes out of bad. And I think it's our duty and, in a sense, a responsibility to find positive, good things when bad things occur. And I think that this is very challenging, but I think it really tests our mettle. I think it really tests who we are, and I think we need to devote more time to it. And I have to admit that it is very, very tough. And this is why I think the gratitude journey is not an easy one. And it is one that requires patience, and it requires a large degree of dedication. And we're tasked with that. And I think this is ultimately good. The other thing I'm tasked with is mowing the lawn. And I have to do that. And I do that under duress because I did something to my knee. I think I might have mentioned it last week. It might have been during a workout. I don't recall tweaking anything. I don't recall a particular instance. But we're going well, well into two weeks now where there's just an overall sort of stiffness in my left knee. And I don't think it's arthritis related. I may have twisted or did something during my workout, which is kind of a 25-minute sort of jumping thing uh, that combines some cardio. And I may have turned a certain way and my knee sort of didn't turn with it, but it's becoming more and more, well, it's becoming more and more of a pain in the ass, to be quite honest. And so now I have to go mow the lawn, but I do so under beautiful meteorological conditions. That's right. We've had some pretty humid weather here. It's going to cool down, and it's going to rain a little bit over this holiday weekend. But we have finally been able to put the snow shovels away. It took a while. <laughs> it took a while. And yes, plural, we have one for the front and one for the back. We finally were able to put those away, and I'm still trying to get used to adjusting the thermostat to turn on the air conditioning, which we've also had to do. So hopefully in your world, you have a relaxing holiday weekend if you're in America. And if you're not in America, then hopefully you have a relaxing weekend anyway. For us, we're going to be relatively low-key, try to get a little bit of work done, and maybe unfurl a couple of chairs, go find a lake on Monday, and just sit and enjoy and be grateful for 
an extra day off to enjoy each other's company. In the meantime, I wish you nothing but the best, and I wish you nothing but health, and hopefully you have your vaccine. And it was joyful to be at a gathering again and to have some semblance of normalcy, knowing that a lot of people did receive their vaccines and it did take a little bit of the stress off of the event. Until then, we'll both do our best to try to find some good in the bad. And we will check in again with you at another time on another episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast.